I want to say hey to my City Church family. Uh, I so look forward to the day when we can get together again face to face. Uh, and I know you're looking forward to that too. Uh, I also want to welcome the guests who are watching uh, online, both here in San Antonio and around the world. You see, City Church exists so all people can believe and thrive in Jesus. And I say that because uh, even now in the face of this worldwide pandemic and the economic recession that's come out of it, I believe you can still thrive in life when you thrive in Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you think you can thrive even now? Do you think that you can thrive even under the pressure of these trials? You know, the pressure of trials, they can bring out the worst in people or they, it can bring out the best in people. And so I'm gonna ask you a question. What is the pressure of these trials bringing out of you? Now, in this study we've been going through the series, setting through James, we've seen that the believers in the first century, these first followers of Jesus, they were wrestling with uh, the pressure of trials of their own. Their trials came from violent persecution and the economic fallout that came out of that. And, and it's evident from James's letter uh, that they were not handling the pressure of their trials well. Now, if you remember, I said James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he became an, uh, a key leader in the early church. And he wrote his letter called James to these first believers who were struggling under the pressure of their trials. And it appears from his letter that they were not handling things very well. In fact, it appears that there were some things that were messy in their church. And you know, before we get into the, to the study, I wanna just acknowledge something. I think it actually gives me a sense of encouragement to know that even the first followers of Jesus, you know, that James was writing to, that they struggled with the messiness of their own life. And you know, uh, here at City Church, we like to say that we are a messy church. And we're a messy church intentionally. And let me explain what I mean by that. Now, I don't know if you grew up in the church or not, I did grow up in the church and I'm grateful to my parents for raising me in the church, I really am. I mean, because of my church, I came to believe in Jesus as a young boy. Uh, because of my church, I learned how to study the scriptures that had, had a great influence in my life. Because of my church, uh, even when I strayed away from my faith, I was able to come back to my faith and follow Jesus because of my church. Because of my church, it's, it's, it's where I, I found and sensed my calling to become a pastor. And because of my church, I met and married my wife, Barbara. But there's one part of my church that I, I don't think I liked growing up. And that is, I went to a church that I would call a neat church. And what I mean by a neat church is uh, everything, it was a church where everything looked nice and everything seemed fine, but it really wasn't. Like we went to church in a neat sanctuary and we put on neat clothes to go to the neat sanctuary. We called it our Sunday best. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with people who want to get dressed up to go to their church gatherings. That's okay. But I find now looking back, I think there was something about the expectation to look neat and nice that masked the messiness of our lives. 
And so we would put on our neat clothes and we would go to our neat sanctuary and we would sing neat songs and we would listen to neat but oftentimes long and boring sermons. And then we would return to the messiness of our lives. It was like church was not a safe place to get real about your messiness. And so church felt like it was more uh, like a gathering for neat people to keep their neat lives neat. And that's so sad because the movement that Jesus started, he made his movement for messy people. And so in my neat church, it was like you didn't feel like you could get honest and real about your struggles, about what you were going through, uh, e even about your fears, your anxieties, your addictions, the things that you were really struggling with. You felt like in the church, you couldn't get real about them. And so most people felt compelled to mask the messiness of their lives. But as I said, Jesus started a movement for messy people. And he started a movement to offer these messy people messy grace and to give them hope that something beautiful could come out of their lives. And so I want to say to those of you watching who maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you're still not sure what you think about God and Jesus and the church and all, I want you to know that City Church is a safe place for you to, a safe community where you can get real about whatever you're struggling with. You can get real about your doubts, your, your skepticisms, your fears, and you can get real about whatever messiness you may be going, going through in your life. Because here at City Church, we just acknowledge that we all struggle with some messiness in our lives. And so this is a safe community where you can get real about whatever messiness you may be facing. You can get real about your messy marriage. It's okay. You can get real about your messy family. You can get real about your messy finances. You can get real about what you're struggling with, maybe moral issues that you're wrestling with. You can get real about the abuse you've endured. You can get real about your anger, your anxiety, your addictions, and even your depression. Because we believe that Jesus started this church movement to be a messy movement for messy people. And so back, back now to the letter of James. So to messy people just like us, to people struggling under the pressure of their trials just like us, James writes those followers of Jesus and through them he says to us, he challenges all of us to rise up under the pressure of our trials. Now, I want to give a little review of where we've gone so far in this study. The first two weeks, we looked at God's purpose behind allowing us to go through trials in life. And we've seen that under the pressure of trials, God exposes hidden flaws, those core issues within us that threaten to uh, wreck our lives. And God's purpose behind those trials, behind the pressure of trials, is not only to expose those hidden flaws, but he's also seeking to help us grow and mature in our faith. He's seeking to work within us a tough faith, because when you have a tough faith, it'll help you get through tough times, tough times like these. And so now we're going to make a transition in our study. The first two weeks we were looking at, like, you know, why does God allow the pressure of trials in our life? Today we're going to begin to look at how to rise up under the pressure of trials. But I want to give a little bit of background so you'll understand the, the setting James is writing to, because I think it'll give you some clarity about the messiness within their church that they wrestled with. So in the first century Roman Empire, 
there was a very small number of wealthy people, very rich people, who controlled most of the money, most of the property, and most of the businesses. Then there was a large number of people who, you know, they were like the working class kind of people who worked from week to week. They, made, they, they got by week to week to week. Then there was the working poor. And those were people who were just getting by day by day. And then, of course, most of you know that in the Roman Empire, they also had slaves and servants, the, the truly poor. They, they couldn't even own property. And what was interesting in the first century is most of those classes of people did not engage with each other socially. They were very separate socially. They very seldom gathered together. And when they did, the, there were tensions and there was some animosity between them, as you can imagine. Well, when people from all of those different kinds of classes became followers of Jesus, here's what happened. When they would gather in their church gatherings, it became one of the few places in their society where people from all of these different classes actually gathered together. And it created some tension within the church gatherings. And so things got messy. And to those messy followers of Jesus, James writes these words. This is James 1, verse 19. He writes, My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. In other words, this is really important. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, in this verse, James summarizes really the rest of his letter. This, if you will, is like the outline of the rest of the, the letter. This is the main a truth he wants his readers to get. And so this is the truth that I want to be like our memory verse. If, if you've never memorized the scripture, I encourage you to memorize this verse. Let's say it together out loud. You ready? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So let's unpack that for just a moment before we move on. Quick to listen. What he means by that is being quick to listen to God. It means being quick to do what God says. It means holding on to and living out the teachings of Jesus, like listening to the teachings of Jesus and doing them. And above all, it means to do something about your faith. Don't settle for a, a, a faith that's merely religious beliefs, religious rituals, religious routines. Be quick to listen. Then he says, be slow to speak. What does he mean by that? Well, he means be careful with your words. He means don't lash out with your words when somebody wrongs you in some way. And he means don't participate in gossip or, or malicious talk about somebody else. Be slow to speak. And then thirdly, he says, be slow to anger. What's he getting at there? I think he's saying you have to get at the core issues within you that make you susceptible to having a quick temper. You see, if you don't go back in your life and get healing from past hurts and past disappointments, you carry the emotions of those hurts and those disappointments with you. And though that hurt and the pain and what you feel makes you uh, susceptible to having a quick temper now. So if you, if you follow me, the pain of your past, if you don't get healing from it, it makes you susceptible to having a quick temper now. And according to James, 
Your anger, human anger, does not lead to the righteous desires God has for us. Now, why does he say that? Why does he feel like he needs to tell us that? I think this is what's going on. Now, last week, I reminded you uh, of some of my struggles with anger. I've struggled with anger throughout my life. And honestly, when I first admitted that I was an angry person and, and didn't really even understand why I was so angry, and I started wrestling with why I struggled with anger so much, I came to a realization, and I think it's what James is addressing here. Part of why anger had such a grip on me is I had a false belief about my anger. And this is what I mean by that. I had always told myself, and other people had even said this, oh, that Brent's an angry person. And, and I had always blamed my anger on my personality. You see, I'm a type A personality. And I always just thought, well, type, type A personality people, they just struggle with anger and they get angry a lot. That's just who we are. Like, that's even how God made us. And if you struggle with anger like me, let's be honest with each other. Sometimes you can use your anger to get what you want, can't you? Right? Like sometimes I, I noticed I could use my anger to win an argument or I could use my anger to intimidate people to get them to do what I wanted. And that's not really good. And so at some point in my journey, I had to admit that that's a false belief, that my anger was not good that it was not accomplishing what God wanted to accomplish in me or through me. At some point, I had to choose to, to not believe that my anger was good in me. Instead, when pressure came upon me, when anger came out of me, I had to admit that was not a good thing. When pressure came upon me, anger is what came out of me. What's coming out of you? Maybe anger is not the thing you're struggling with. Maybe anger is not the core issue that you're wrestling with. Maybe for you, you're wrestling with paralyzing fears or crippling anxiety or insatiable lust or self-absorbed uh, obsessions that lead to obsessive behavior. Maybe you're wrestling with bitter, negative words or maybe you're wrestling with numbing addictions. And please hear me. The greatest threat to your spiritual journey is not the trials in life that you face. I want to say that again. The greatest threat to your spiritual journey is not the trials in life that you face. It is these core issues, these inner flaws that can wreck your life. And at somewhere in your journey, you have to get real about those inner flaws. You have to admit them and then find freedom from them. And that is a part of what it means to rise up and under the pressure of trials. And to do that, this is where it comes back to the church, to do that, to get real about your messiness, you need a messy church. And that's why I think it's so important that we at City Church are a messy church. Now, how do we do what James is telling us to do? How, how do we rise up under the pressure of trials? Let's look at verse 21. James writes, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. But don't just hear the word, do what it says. Otherwise, you are only deceiving yourselves. So here, James tells us there's something to get rid of, something to reject, and then there's something to accept. 
So what he calls us to reject, he calls, calls it moral filth driven by evil desires within us. And in just a few verses, he's going he's gonna to call that uh, way of thinking and living the world, the world. And so I want to use this word, the world. So what, what does he mean by the world? Well, the world is not the people, right? He's not talking about the people. Uh, and it's not like, you know, Christianity, uh, it's like Christianity against the world. That, that's not the, what James is going to be talking about. In fact, we're for the world, right? We're here to serve the world. When James uses the term world here in, in this letter, he's using it to identify, it's like a metaphor. It's a metaphor for those inner beliefs and inner ways of thinking that, that are driven by evil desires within us. And it's these kinds of desires and these kinds of ways of thinking and believing that can wreck our lives. And so what, what kinds of ways of thinking are we talking about? Well, the world says, if I'm gonna be happy, I need more. I need more money. I need a bigger house. I need a faster car. I, I need more stuff. I need more sex with more people. The world says, if it feels good, do it. The world says, you got to look out for number one. The world says, get all you can while you can. The world says, if somebody hurts me, I'm going to hurt them back. But James tells us, if we want to rise up under the pressure of our trials, we have to get rid of that way of thinking and that way of living. And instead, he tells us to accept the word uh, that has been planted in our soul. So what is he talking about there? He's talking about, and he's going to use this term word. So there's the world. That's the, the way of thinking and believing that comes from evil desires within us. And then there's the word. And the word, in the word, he uses the word to identify the teachings of Jesus. And here's what he's saying. If you will accept the word, if you will learn and live the teachings of Jesus, it will protect you in life. It will help you get free from those core issues that can wreck your life. And I think James's uh, teaching here reminds me of the teaching that Jesus gave about his own teachings when uh, he was here on the earth, recorded in John 8, verse 31 through 32, where Jesus said this, if you hold to my teachings, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And that's why James is encouraging his readers to, to hold on to the word, to accept the word in their lives. And did you notice uh, in that verse, when he says, if you'll, if you'll accept this word that's been planted in your soul, he says, it will save you. So what does he mean by that? Well, let's be clear what he does not mean. <laughs> James does not mean you have to accept Jesus' teachings uh, to save you from your sins or to save you from hell, or to save you for eternity. That's not what he's talking about. What he says here is that if you will accept the word humbly, uh, humbly accept the word planted in your soul, it will save you from those issues that will wreck your life. If you want to get free from those inner core issues, the ones that will wreck your life, you have to get his word in you. And so I'm calling us as a part of our journey, as a part of rising up under the pressure of trials, I'm calling us to become a people of the word, 
to get the word in our lives. And you'll hear me say this over and over in many different messages. I think a critical part of our spiritual journey is getting a copy of the Christian scriptures that we can read easily, you know, a version you can understand, and then to regularly read the scriptures, learn the scriptures, and then do what they say, be quick to listen to them. And so I encourage you to do that. If you don't have a Bible, there's actually a free Bible called YouVersion you can download on your phone or iPad. And, uh, it, and it's, a, it's a great uh, way to read the scriptures and it's for free. But whatever you do, get a copy of scriptures, get the word in your life and the word will accomplish something good in you. That's part of the way that you can rise up under the pressure of trials. And did you notice James says to make sure we don't just hear the word, but that we also do the word. You see, there, it's one thing to know the word. It's another thing to show the word. And God is way more interested in what we show rather than what we know. And I, I say this because I'm concerned that there's a lot of uh, followers of Jesus out there who equate maturity with Bible knowledge. And so their goal in life is to go deeper, deeper and dig more and more into the scriptures. And what, what can happen is you can become so filled with head knowledge that your heart doesn't change and you never do anything about what the word says. You never get to the point where you show the word by, through acts of love, especially for those in need. And so I just want you to know here at City Church, you know, I, I do want us to become a people who know the word. I mean, you can't show the word if you don't know the word, but I don't want us to settle for just knowing the word. I don't want us to settle for Bible knowledge. And so if City Church is not known as the, the, the church with the most Bible knowledge, I'll be okay with that. If City Church is not known as the church that's the deepest church in San Antonio, I'll be okay with that. But if City Church is not known as a church who knows the word and shows the word through acts of love, I will not be okay with that. As long as I have the opportunity to lead you as your pastor, I want to lead you and I want to you know, go with you to become a people who not only know the word, it is important, but a people who show the word through acts of love. Now, what kind of acts of, of love? What kind of, what kind of ways do you show the word? James continues in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a question. When you think of the Christian religion, what do you think about? Do you think about the inspiring music? Do you think about some of our rituals like you know, baptism or communion? Do you think about some of the spiritual disciplines like prayer and uh, scripture reading and giving and stuff like that? Do, do you think about awesome sermons, right? You know, awesome sermons like I'm giving. What's interesting to me is that James, the half-brother of Jesus, those are not the characteristics he identified as being the most important ones in God's eyes. Instead, he said the more, most important characteristic 
the most important attribute of the religion that, that, that we, we do practice, that God our Father is watching, the mo most important aspect of it is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. In other words, to care for the most vulnerable in society. In their day, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable. They were at risk. They needed protection. They needed help to make it through, especially in trying times. And so I, I just started meditating. Okay, so who are the widow and widows and orphans of our culture today? Who are the most vulnerable today? Well, I think obviously orphans are still vulnerable. And we, we should be looking for ways to care for them. In fact, that's why for the last 20 years, City Church has supported the, the uh, Pies Hermosos Orphanage in Chihuahua, Mexico. But I think there are other people who are vulnerable in our culture today. I think those who are food insecure are vulnerable. And that's why it's, it's so important for us to help them, especially during these times, through our donations to the San Antonio Food Bank. And I think that the homeless are vulnerable now. And that's why our church for decades has supported the Strong Foundation Homeless Shelter right here in San Antonio, serving over 50 homeless families even right now. And I think there are other people who are vulnerable in our society. Maybe there are some elderly neighbors that are vulnerable. Maybe there's a single parent in your neighborhood that is vulnerable. Maybe there's a military family with a, one of the parents who is deployed and they're vulnerable. Maybe you know someone or live near someone who is either physically or mentally handicapped and they're vulnerable. Folks, let us be the church. Let's be the church that doesn't just know the word, but that shows the word and does something to care for people who are vulnerable. Take the risk to rub shoulders with someone who is in need. And when you do that, it's not only something that's good for the person who is in need, for the person who is vulnerable. According to James, it actually does something good in you. I want us to look back at verse 27 again. I want you to notice something very profound that James says there. This is uh, 127. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Pay attention to this part. <clears throat> to look after orphans and widows in their distress to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's that term again, the world. And what James is showing us here, it's so profound. When we rise up, when we rise up and show the word through acts of love towards those who are vulnerable, not only does, does it do something good in them and for them, it does something good in us. It protects us from being polluted by the world. It gives us a better perspective on life. It helps us to have better priorities in life. And it can help us get free from the core issues that can wreck our lives. It can do something beautiful in our lives. And you know, it's this truth right here that uh, led me to make sure that my children were introduced to people in need in our world. And so I took my son, Sean, to visit some of the orphans at the orphanage we, we support in Chihuahua, Mexico. And he got the chance to rub shoulders with some of those children, to understand a little bit more about their story and their, their, their life, their, their place in life. And it just, it did something good in him. It gave him a good perspective on life. And then I took my daughter, Anna, 
uh, to Liberia, West Africa with me to the work that we do there. And there she uh, got to meet many impoverished families and impoverished children. And while she was there, I was training pastors and leaders. She was helping to establish seven different libraries in poor schools that had no libraries with books donated by the Northside School District. And during those days, she got to meet some children who didn't have it very good. And she got to meet a teenage young girl that our family supported for many years to help her go to school. And it did something good in her. And I can look back now and see that when my children were, were introduced to rubbing shoulders with some people in need, to some people who were vulnerable, it did something beautiful in them. And you see, James says, this is God's kind of religion. This is real religion. It's the kind of religion where you, you rise up, no matter what your circumstances, you rise up and you show the word through acts of love, especially to those who are in need. And as you do that, something beautiful happens in you. He can make something beautiful out of whatever messiness you have experienced in life if you will rise up and show the word. And that's my prayer for you today. Let's pray together. Lord God, it's so good to know what matters most to you. And I, I pray first of all for some who may be watching, who are vulnerable, who are in need. Maybe it's someone who's lost a job. Maybe it's someone who is uh, food insecure. Maybe it's someone with a handicap of some kind or a health issue of some kind. Lord, I pray that you would notice those people in need and I pray that you would appropriately, that you would, you would raise up people. You would stir up people in their lives who know about their needs and give them the courage and the faith to rise up and serve them and care for them in their time of distress. And then Lord, for those of us maybe who are not vulnerable, I pray that you would give us opportunities, give us eyes to see, Give us ears to hear where we have opportunities to show your word by showing your love to others and then give us the faith and the courage to do something about it. I ask you to bless us as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.